Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is the author of the thriller Sisters of the Lost Nation. Please welcome Nick Medina. Hey, Nick, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to talking to you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to your book was um, it, it like grabbed me in a lot of different ways I didn't expect. It's it's interesting, like just reading like I, it's not like I don't know. How would you describe Sisters of the Lost Nation? Because I, I it's like paranormal. There, It's suspense. There's so much going on with it. But what's Sisters of the Lost Nation from you, your perspective? Yeah, yeah it, it is kind of, um, you know, it does it does have a lot going on inside of it. Um, to me, it's a book about kind of being haunted. You know, the main character, she's 17 years old. She's Native American living on uh, the Dakota Reservation in Louisiana. And she's trying to find answers about why young women and girls are going missing from the reservation, including her own little sister. And uh, so I think it's really a story about being haunted. She's haunted by this disappearance. She's haunted by the despair, the hopelessness, the fear. But there's also this element of tribal folklore, and mm-hmm. um, she's haunted by this story that includes this mythological entity that could, you know, literally eat you alive if you believe that it's real. And she's starting to wonder, you know, is this is this uh, creature some, something that really exists, and is it something that's causing the disappearances? Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's you know a mix of mythology, mix of horror, some thriller elements, mystery. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. For sure. No, I, yeah, I, um, I can't wait to hear you read from it and, and, uh, ask some questions following up. Cause, uh, I think a lot of what day beautiful covers isn't necessarily like, not that your book is a crime novel, but it leans more that direction. And it like just grabbed me and I'm, I'm used to reading, uh, like, you know, sad boy fiction in a way, a lot of the time anyway. Uh, but yeah, I loved your book so much. Uh, what part will you be reading for us today? I'm going to read the prologue. You'll get to hear, you know, you're going to hear a little bit about that mythological creature, where it comes from. For sure. Uh, Take it away. Thanks. Do you hear that? Her uncle whispered. Hear what, she said, refraining from taking a big bite of the caramel apple she'd made. The rustling over there in the bushes. Her ears strained. The fire burning in the pit between their lawn chairs popped, sending up orange embers that failed to alleviate the encompassing darkness. She shook her head and lifted the apple to the corner of her mouth, where she still had teeth capable of piercing the hard flesh. The Dalton Sizers had yet to fill the holes in her smile. Listen, he hissed, once more stopping her from taking a bite. I don't hear any. The rustle of leaves sounded from far off in the yard, back where the manicured lawn merged with the untamed field that bordered the house. Is someone there, she asked, tongue lisping against her gums. Not someone. Not really. Her uncle's spindly body shifted, making his leather jacket, black as the night, his feathered hair, and the shiny motorcycle he'd rode in. Creak. She questioned him with her eyes. I shouldn't tell you, he said. Tell me what? Twinkling in the orange and yellow light, his eyes, usually brown and warm, looked black now, too. About what I found at work a few months ago, he said. She grew silent, thinking about where her uncle worked. The cemetery. What'd you find? Do you really want to know, he asked, pulling on the scraggly beard he'd barely been able to grow. She nodded. She guessed so. He slowly leaned forward in his chair, 
I found three unearthed graves, he said. Someone dug them up. The wind blew, making the fire thrash. Why would someone do that? I don't know, but it wasn't very smart. He poked the fire with a stick, casting more embers into the autumn air. A man, a woman, and Hilaire Brossard, the last official chief of our tribe, were the three dug up. Do you know what becomes of a body after it's spent years in the ground? She didn't gamble a guess. She just looked toward the house, wishing her parents would come back out. It taken them both to wrangle her tantrum, throwing three-year-old brother to bed. The bodies turned to bones, he said. Skeletons. They still look like bodies, only without all the skin. The flames cast shadows that leapt about his face. That's what I expected to see when I looked into the open graves, he said. Skeletons that resembled bodies. Bone for every head, arm, leg, finger, and tiny toe. She cast an uncertain gaze at the ground where her little sister sat atop a sleeping bag, legs crisscross applesauce, oblivious to everything their uncle was saying. Her busy tongue licked the caramel from the fruit she wouldn't eat. It was past her bedtime, but she'd stay up as long as mom and dad were busy with their brother. Only five, she already knew how to go unnoticed. Bones were missing, their uncle carried on. Taken. The older girl redirected her gaze from her little sister to her uncle, who showed no sign of jest. The woman's fingers were gone, he said. Her toes, too. Every little piggy. And the two big bones from her left arm, below the elbow. The man's skeleton didn't look like it was missing anything at all, but something had gnawed on its ribs. There were gashes in the bones, and the chief, he looked her dead in the eyes, was without a head. She jumped in her seat, causing a glob of warm caramel to drip onto her dress. She wiped it with her free hand, smearing it, getting her fingers sticky. The skull was gone, but it wasn't taken. It, as a matter of fact, took something itself. She pulled at the braid hanging along the left side of her face, getting caramel in her hair. What it takes, she asked, wondering how it could take anything at all. He leaned closer to the fire, inches from the flames. A life, maybe more than one. The spirit of a chief you see is a powerful thing. The skull became a head again when it was lifted from the grave. Resurrected. Resurrected, she echoed. Alive again, he said, his voice measured and grievously low, prolonging every word. But not like it was before. Not like the old chief. It's angry now that it's been ripped from its rest, and ravenous, hungry for revenge. It'll eat anyone it encounters. It'll tear flesh from bone. How, she said. It rolls, gathering mud and moss on its decaying flesh. The wind blew again, chillier than before. But how do you know what it eats? Because it devoured the person who dug it up. His expression morphed from serious to sad. And I'm pretty sure it ate Miss Shelby, too. A lump formed in her throat when she thought about Miss Shelby, the only adult she'd ever considered a friend. Shelby had gone missing that summer, followed by whispers that she wasn't coming back. The girl's eyes prodded her uncle for more, even though she wasn't sure she wanted to hear it. There were footprints in the mud leading to the chief's grave, but none leading away, he said. She pondered what that meant, not hearing everything. You swear, she asked. The head is out there and it's hungrier than ever, he went on, whispering, nodding. He looked to his left, to his right, behind his back. Spine-chilling is what it is. If you see it, you'll know what I mean. Have you, she asked. He nodded slowly. Remember when we went fishing in June? Yes, she squeaked. And you remember what the fish looked like when we reeled them in from the water? She recalled the catfish her father and uncle had caught for supper. She'd watched with curiosity, which quickly turned to sadness, then dismay, as the fish gills gradually stopped gasping at the bottom of the catch bucket, loaded with ice. The head has the same eyes as the fish, her uncle said. Beady and unblinking, only they're cloudy and flat, sunken deep into its skull. Its hair grows wild, tangled with beetles, twigs, and burrs, and its trip, 
and it trails the head like a tail. The flesh itself is rotten and foul, dead as the heaven and hell tree, once the tallest old oak on the reservation. Its branches stretching for the stars, its roots reaching for the abyss below. And as ragged around its missing neck is the hem of my jeans. The chain he wore on his wallet rattled as he lifted a foot over the fire, showing off the frayed cuff of his pant leg, streaked with mud. The mouth, he paused, clenching his jaw to steal himself. That's the worst of it. It can stretch as wide as it wants, wide enough to suck you between its wormy lips. She thought of the catfish again, their mouths gaping and wide, flanked by whiskers that had curled and turned black after her father had hacked off the fish heads and tossed them into the fire. It's got a tongue of old leather and teeth like shattered glass, jagged and sharp. If it sees you, it'll roll after you, which means you'd better run, and fast. Just one nibble on the back of your heel means, means you'll never escape. Never? Her voice barely made it over the crackle of the fire. She thought of Miss Shelby again, gone forever. Can't it be stopped? He shrugged. Can't kill something that's already dead. I don't have any idea how to stop it. All I know is it's a good thing you're not out here alone. She suddenly had to pee, but didn't want to walk. But didn't want to walk the fifty feet from the fire pit to the back door. Never had home seemed so far. Never had she been so afraid in the dark. The leaves rustled in the yard again, closer than before. Better not let it get you, he said. She sprang up from her seat and grabbed her little sister by the arm, dragging her to safety. The caramel apple she'd been so eager to eat fell to the ground, a gift to the ants. Abandoned, it rolled through the grass, picking up dirt and bits of black ash. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, I'm I'm really curious, like where the, where did like the mythology, where did the folklore come from? What interested you in that part of uh, the story? Yeah, um, you know, I've always been interested in lore, all kinds of lore. Um, I live in Chicago, and we have great local lore here as well, but um. You know, my grandmother was Native American, and um, I'd, I'd heard stories growing up. I remember she shared some books with me, um, but I'd also written other stories about Native Americans. And so I had done some research with that, and I had read a lot of uh, Native lore. I actually have a book sitting here right now called Native American Myth and Legend. Really great book. has a ton of uh, stories, about origin stories. Uh, they call them trickster stories, where, you know, you might learn a lesson from uh, let's say, uh, you know, Coyote, you know, a really strong character in Native folklore. Uh, he often gets up to certain antics, and based on those antics, you learn some sort of life lesson. Uh, so I had a bit of familiarity just from previous things I had written and, and researched. And so when I got the idea for this story, things just kind of clicked. I, I can't remember exactly uh, when I decided or how I decided to uh, use the specific elements in this story um things just kind of came together really mm -hmm. really naturally it felt like was like the was the crime and or the crime the mystery set before you in, in, injected the folklore yes um so the way this this one came together was i was i was looking through an, a newspaper and i came across an article uh that that had the headline um epidemic hits native americans and it was about these two sisters and one of the sisters had gone missing. And so that's really what gave me the idea for, for this story. And um, things, like I said, things just came together. There mm -hmm. was the tribal folklore that really seemed to fit with um, the real life um, uh, crimes going on, the real life uh, injustices and, and heartbreaking stories of these families who have young women and, and girls that they can't find. Um, so, yeah, this was actually one, one of the stories I've written that, came together really, really easily.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was like, uh, what was like the writing time? I'm always just curious with, with debuts. So um, that article I referenced, I came across in 2018 mm. and then I started outlining that very night that I had read that article and I completed. So I, that article was in September of uh, 2018 and I completed um, sisters of the lost nation um, by summer of 2019 wow, yeah. and then um, started working on it with another author who helped me do some revising and rewriting throughout 2020 and then we sold it in 2021 wow awesome so uh do you normally outline is that a big part of your writing style yeah i'm definitely uh an outliner you know the the old panzer or plotter yeah. question uh, definitely a plotter uh, i like to have a solid outline before i really get into the thick of writing uh, yeah, I, I'm not someone who can go into it blindly. I know there's some people who could just go and mm-hmm. they can figure it out as they're going along, uh, which it, which really amazes me. And I wish I could do something like that. But yeah, I definitely need the outline. But that's not yeah. to say it doesn't change as well, because you know, as I'm going along, a lot of times I'll, I'll come up with something different, something better. Um, but yeah, I like to have a general idea of where I'm going. Was there a lot of rewriting with that or you had the bones and it was just really about reshuffling? Yeah, it was mostly about reshuffling. Uh, you know, I, I did do a bit of rewriting, change mm-hmm. some scenes around. And um, obviously, once you take things and move them around, like if you take something from the end of the book and now you have it at the start of the book, then you have yeah. to adjust just so it'll make sense for the reader. But uh, yeah, it wasn't a, a, a whole lot of rewriting. I want to thank Nick for joining the Day Beautiful First Taste Reading Series to chat about his book, Sisters of the Lost Nation, which you can get now. You can find him on the internet at nickmedina.net, on Instagram at nickmedinawrites, and on Twitter at medinanick. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net, and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>